0: Once I made the switch, I was like, why did I limit who I thought I was to this identity? Once I learned how to code, I felt like, oh, I did it. What else can I do that I have been previously limiting myself from? Hello and
1: welcome to the Scrimba podcast. On this weekly show, I interview developers about how to learn to code and get your first job in tech. You might be wondering, how many hours does it take to learn to code? Well, according to my guest Jen, the answer is somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 hours. Yes, that's right, Jen painstakingly logged her hours learning to code to give you a better sense of how long it could take. In this episode, we're going to take a closer look at Jen's study schedule, hear her top tips, and learn her story transitioning from a content writer and marketer to a full-stack developer. After working as a writer for the better part of a decade, making this transition at 30 wasn't easy. And Jen did it alongside a full-time job, by the way. But now Jen gets to solve interesting problems with support from her team, it all seems worth it. I had a great time chatting with Jan. It was a really lovely and insightful conversation that I just know you're going to get value from. If you do enjoy the episode, as I'm sure you will, please consider sharing it on social media, be that Twitter, LinkedIn, or even just DMing a friend. Word of mouth is really the best way to support a podcast that you like. So a big thank you in advance. With that out of the way, you are listening to the Scrimber podcast. Let's get into it.
0: As a kid, I was always really interested in tech. Like I remember it was in the 90s and there were a lot of like really colorful websites. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with the site Neopets.
1: I've definitely heard of it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was really big when I was growing up. And they would let you customize like your web pages with HTML and CSS. And that was the first bit of HTML I wrote. And growing up, I was always interested in it, but I never really felt like I was smart enough to dig it up as a career. So it was really um, later in life sort of thing.
1: How come you didn't feel like you were smart enough?
0: I think I've never really excelled in quote-unquote hard science subjects like maths and physics. So I felt like maybe I wouldn't do well with coding either.
1: That's the thing, isn't it? Coding is so often associated with maths and physics, first and foremost. And yet, once you actually start learning to code... I mean, you tell me, Jen, do you end up needing any maths or
0: physics? (laughs) I do deal with a bit of math, but that's only because I do a bit of programming related to computer graphics. But for general web development, yeah, it's almost no math.
1: Yeah. So I guess that's kind of like geometry and stuff mainly.
0: Yeah. Trigonometry. Yeah. And lots of terms that I I don't even remember.
1: I didn't do too good at maths when I was growing up either. I was kind of lucky, I suppose, to stumble into coding and not get the chance to talk myself out of it, maybe. But looking back, yeah, I wish I kind of knew a bit more about those subjects because they can be a little bit handy when building front end applications and custom graphics and things. But by and large, no, you don't need to be an expert at those STEM type subjects to get started. So, you didn't go straight into coding. What did you start off by doing? Like, what did you study at school and what did you do for work originally?
0: I did a Bachelor of Arts in university. I majored in writing. So, I really wanted to write. And I did that for up until last year. It's almost a decade now.
1: Like writing novels and stuff, or?
0: Oh, no. I started out being an educational writer for children. So, I would write like English lessons and stories for for really young children. I did that for a few years and then went into content marketing for another few years.
1: Oh I see. Okay. For the uninitiated, what is content marketing exactly?
0: You know when you Google anything and an article comes up and you know sometimes it's a good article, it tells you information and then you realise it's written by a company and you click on those companies products. So that's basically content marketing. You're writing information that you hope people will stumble upon. Thank mm-hmm. you. Through Google and through that, kind of sell your company's products.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's a really interesting subject to me because one thing I was working on at Scrimba is the official Scrimba blog, which people can, you know, check out and read if they're interested. It's a really exciting and interesting role. Yeah, there are kind of self served, self interested ways of going about it, but oftentimes the best content in content marketing is posts that educate the reader and in turn sort of position the product, you know that's what we were trying to do uh scrimbo at least but it's funny then because i started my career as a developer and i transitioned into content marketing uh, but you on the other hand you started your career as a content marketer and you've recently succeeded at transitioning and getting your first job as a developer which is just incredible i'm curious what motivated you to make that change from content marketer to developer i
0: think just really the motivation to create cool stuff and have people use it. I don't know whether you feel the same, but I feel like content marketing and coding is actually quite similar in the sense that in both, you're trying to create something that you hope is useful for other people. Yeah, I agree with that actually. And you know, you're constantly thinking about how to present your piece of writing or your piece of code to be more easily understood by someone else.
1: I mean... Mostly you're talking to humans, probably, I assume, when you're writing blog posts. (laughs) When you're coding, you're writing for a machine, yes, but also the developer that's going to read and understand your code. So it is a form of communication as well. I really like that comparison. What was it about coding that drew you in specifically?
0: There was a period of time a few years ago where I would come across like creative coding projects built by other people. And I think they were using libraries like 3 gs or p 5 And I thought the stuff that they were making was so cool. I kind of felt like, hey, I, I want to learn how to do that too. p that is a... I don't know whether I'm describing it properly, but to my knowledge, it's a creative coding library. So it um, helps you create graph graphics on a canvas and you can do a lot of cool interactive stuff with it i've seen people create like simple games with p5.js
1: i suppose then front-end development seemed quite attractive to you compared to back-end development
0: yeah for me i think the motivation was to create an app just any app and when i google how to create an app I found a lot more resources on the front end than I did the back end. And when I did come across back end resources, they seemed really complex. So that was why I started with the front end.
1: Did it look kind of approachable to you at that point, or was it more intimidating?
0: At that point, it was still pretty intimidating. That's just really popular front-end roadmap, uh, roadmap roadmap.sh. I think that's the URL.
1: Yeah, yeah, we can link it in the show notes. Yeah,
0: so it has a really good roadmap of what you have to learn. But as a complete new developer, you look at that and you think, whoa, there's so much to learn to get a website up. That was quite intimidating in first.
1: I suppose when you pick a specialization like front-end development, that's a a big hurdle. It's great that you kind of slotted into front-end dev and I agree it's a great place to start. The next question tends to be, what do I learn? And it's great that you got that from the roadmap as well. And then after that, you kind of have to figure out what kind of learning resources are going to work best for you. Some people consider a bootcamp, for example, other people like books. How did you approach finding something to study and where did you end up learning?
0: The hard part about learning web development is that there's no single path and everyone's offering a different path on you know how to create an app or something. So I would try to start searching for courses because they usually they start like what you need to know in sequence so yeah that's why the scrimber front end path was very useful because they listed out everything i didn't have to do any mental work to try to figure out what was coming next
1: that's really good to hear because that's exactly the objective it's kind of that uh, roadmap built in with hopefully a nice learning experience that's easy to understand and yeah you get that kind of instant feedback loop as well with scrimber and front end development that be really motivating
0: yeah there was so many times where you know i wanted to figure out how something works so i would like delete and then press play and then delete and, and press play and it was so useful to have that appear instantly jan
1: how did you structure your studying did you do it while working full-time
0: yeah i would try to finish off work and then try to put in half an hour to an hour of Scrimba. this was during the pandemic lockdowns in in my country We didn't really have anything to do. You couldn't go out. And it was easier to spend that time on Scrimba. And also, I think having a set ritual of doing something every day really helped keep me kind of sane during the pandemic.
1: That was a really interesting time in general. I think people related to it in different ways. I love these stories of people using that time to better themselves and carve out a new opportunity. Do you think you would have made this change if not for that time during the pandemic?
0: Oh man, I don't know if I would have had the self-discipline and the time. And I really don't know if I had been using other learning resources, would I still have made this change? But I do feel pretty drawn to learning how to code. So I hope that I would have still made that change without the pandemic.
1: Well, the lockdowns ended a couple of years ago now, really, right?
0: Yeah, it was, I think it was... Mostly 2021, we had lockdowns.
1: Yeah, it's 2023 now. So a couple of years and, you know, you've stuck at it all this time. So was it more challenging then to kind of stick at the routine once everything went back to normal?
0: Yeah, it actually was. I think that's why I had such a big gap between finishing the course and actually transitioning careers. Now there are more things to do. You can go out. There are people to meet. I was also having periods of going to the office physically. And I think that extra commute was just a bit more tiring.
1: Yeah, it definitely eats into your study time, doesn't it? Yeah. Did you code on the weekends and stuff as well?
0: Yeah, I I tried to. I think I would try to do at least two hours on the weekends.
2: Coming up, what did it feel like to compete with more experienced developers?
0: The hiring manager did acknowledge that I wasn't experienced.
2: Alex and Jen will be back in just a minute, but before that, let's take a look at your social media posts about the podcast with me, Jan the Producer. On Twitter, Amit Pennington says, took a break from the Scrimba front-end path, but listened to the Scrimba podcast with Kyle Tan. Alex mentioned HTML.new, check it out, and And Kyle, his insight on imposter syndrome, use of open source design, and why you always need to be learning. A motivating interview. Alex rocks. Well, on behalf of Alex, thank you, Amit. Andrea at Andrea Reithi says, I've been following the Scrimba podcast for the past year. Great motivational content. Thank you. And Anthony Nanfito says, wow, the episode of the Scrimba podcast with Jess Gilbert felt like it was made for me and not just because I got a shout out in it. As a teacher working toward becoming a developer, hearing about Jess's experience as a teacher and her desire to get out felt like preaching to the choir. I also loved how she commented on the fact that teaching can often be a very isolating career with little or no collaboration with colleagues, and I'm very happy to hear she found the opposite in her new career as a dev. That's really encouraging. It's really gratifying to hear about her journey and how she found a company that values her experience and skills as as a teacher, but also her skills as a developer. Go, Jess! If you have missed the episode with Jess, I will link it in the show notes. And if you'd like a shout out on the show, just join the conversation on Twitter or on LinkedIn. As long as your post contains the words Scrimba Podcast and the search functions work properly, we will find it. If you're feeling really supportive, you can also consider leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever may be your podcast app of choice. And now we're back to the interview with Jen. So it sounds like you were coding a little
1: bit during the week where you could and then spending a couple of hours coding on the weekend as well. And you did this process over the course of about uh, two or three years. Is that roughly the timeline?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think there were a few pauses in between because I had changed to a different job. I think in total, because I tracked it, I think it was like 400 over hours, um, you know, completing the Scribble course and completing other courses and building projects. So 400 hours was about the time that from the time I started learning to the time that I transitioned.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you like logged that to give us an idea of how long it took. (laughs) Did you just kind of have a Google spreadsheet or something? You just added all your hours as you were studying?
0: I track my sessions with toggle. So it hopefully creates like charts.
1: For you. Oh, that is such a good idea. I hope someone else gets the idea to do that after listening. Uh, so, yeah, you really, this is really interesting because you put in the hours, but it sounds like you did it at a pace which worked for you and what else was going on in your life, like changing jobs. How do you feel about the timeline looking back? Because I mean, sometimes you hear about people learning to code and changing jobs in just a few months. Were you aware of those kind of stories? Did they mean anything to you? Or were you quite, you know, content in the way that you were doing things? Mm -hmm. Clearly it paid off in the end, right? So nobody could speak poorly of it at all.
0: Yeah. So I used to read all these stories and I used to read the Scrimble blog as well to see like how other people were transitioning and how long it took them, and I did feel a bit demotivated that some people were taking just a few months to transition. But I kind of figured that a lot of them, like maybe some people, um, are not working full time jobs, and it kind of took a bit of comfort in that. And I hope this isn't coming off as me putting down other people.
1: No, not at all. Their circumstances were different, right?
0: Yeah. I also read, um, have you heard of Steph Smith?
1: Yes. Are you maybe about to reference an article that goes to be great. You just need to be good consistently.
0: <laughs> oh, I've read that one and I really liked it. Uh, but there was an article where she had talked about her own coding journey and she had like a super detailed spreadsheet of like every day, did she make progress? She also gave an estimate of how long it took her and I would look at that article a lot and just kind of use that as a benchmark. And I think her benchmark was you know 300 hours to learn basic web development. And I used that as a benchmark. So as long as I had put my hours in, it didn't matter if I was going at it really slow.
1: Yeah, everybody's path's a little bit different, right? So it's not just the timeline that's uncertain, but the specifics aligning by that kind of uh, benchmark, I think is a really good idea. Did you build any projects to help you learn to code?
0: Yeah, I did a few of the Scrimba projects. I also worked on a few challenges on a site called Frontend Mentors. And I think to like kind of tie everything I knew, I also worked on a very simple book search app. I just kind of wanted to learn how to get a website up online and work with a database.
1: Oh, is this uh, one more page? Yeah, one more page.co. We'll link it in the show notes. And this is a really cool sort of uh, beginner level app. I mean, I say beginner level because it has a very realistic kind of scope. Some people want to build a really ambitious, like huge app with a login system and, you know, connecting it to a payment gateway and all these things, which are great. It's such a big project. It's hard to really complete it, especially while you're new. But what you've produced is something that's just incredibly tidy and smooth and genuinely pretty useful and fun. I love this. So you pick a book. You choose your reading speed and there's even an option to test your reading speed to give you an idea, uh, you know, 70 words per minute, 100 words per minute, whatever. And then you also enter your daily reading time with a little slider component and it tells you how long it'll take you to read the book. That's This is so clever. Where did you get the idea and how did you build it?
0: I was also inspired by Steph Smith. She had an app, um, I think it was called BeGreat.me. You put in how much time you spend on certain activities and then it would tell you, oh, you're spending this many hours on things that are distracting. Now, if you spend 10% of that time on other things, you could, you know, read five books in a year or something. Um, yeah, so it was just a play on that, really.
1: I think it's a great idea to get inspiration from someone or rift on their idea. What advice would you give to someone who's wanting to build a project but struggling to come up with an idea?
0: If there's anything that you're curious about or any pain points that you experience or see other people experiencing, that could be a good starting point.
1: Yes, definitely. Solving a real problem. And how did you build this? Was it with React, I would guess, just based on the fact you did Scrimba.
0: Yeah, uh, it was with Next.js, which is a React framework. Yeah, and Superbase for the database.
1: Oh, very nice. And what about the back end? We don't teach backend at Scrimber. So how did you navigate that?
0: <laughs> I took a course on front-end masters. They had a, a full stack next year's course.
1: Okay, so you put in your 400 hours. You've been drawing inspiration from the wonderful Steph Smith. I really like her stuff as well, by the way. Friendly enough, she is also a content creator, basically, and has her own podcast and stuff now. So there must be some link between this content creation and coding thing, clearly. But yeah, I imagine the end goal for you was to, you know, get a job as a developer rather than do it as a hobby, say. How did you kind of plan to get your first job? Did you have a plan?
0: No, it's funny that you mentioned that it could have been my end goal, but yeah, in the beginning, it really wasn't. I think I just found coding very interesting and I just wanted to make cool stuff. But as time went on and, you know, I joined my current company and they were just so enthusiastic about the stuff that they were building. and I found that enthusiasm really infectious, so I was thinking about it for a few months and thought that maybe I would enjoy being a developer as well. So yeah, no plan. When my company had an opening for a developer, I just kind of reached out.
1: Oh, that is brilliant. I love that. So you essentially made an internal transfer. Yeah. Did you find it hard to leave writing behind? Because I suppose you've been doing it for so long, You know, that's how you learned your living. It it kind of becomes a part of your identity, I feel like, when you've been doing something for so long.
0: Yeah, it was. I don't know if you feel the same way about switching to content marketing from being a developer, but I felt like it really challenged my self-identity because I had identified as someone who wrote for a living for so long. But I also felt that once I made the switch, I was like, why did I limit who I thought I was to this identity? Once I learned how to code, I felt like, oh, I did it. I learned how to code. What else can I do that I have been previously limiting myself from?
1: It's just unreal, isn't it? What that experience unlocks this wasn't even something you originally felt you could do. Not only did you push through and, you know, probably there were a lot of things you thought you couldn't do at first, whether that's, you know, set up a back end or or deploy a whole website like you did with your project one more page, but every time you do something you didn't think you could do, it just gives you this confidence that you can do it again. And yeah, now you've got a job, it goes beyond just the kind of coding part, right? Like your confidence to solve coding problems increases sure, but once you actually get that external validation that someone else is going to hire you and pay you basically I hope you get paid (laughs) to write code then you know it's just so empowering isn't
0: it yeah I mean all that growth that I feel like I have experienced over the past year and now I'm even doing a podcast which I never thought I would do
1: yes and we're so happy to have you on Jen I really appreciate you sharing your story Maybe tell us a bit more about this internal transfer. How does one navigate something like that? Ordinarily you would apply and they don't really know you, so you go through quite a strict interview process. I'm thinking maybe if you change internally, they at least know, you know, your, your soft skills and things like that. And they have some sense of your experience, but did they want you to prove your coding knowledge at all before making that transfer?
0: Yeah. I don't feel like I've made the transition to tech on easy mode because I had already had a way in, in this company. Although yeah, they did want to assess my knowledge. We had a very casual interview where the hiring manager was trying to figure out how much experience I had, which was not a lot. And after that, he had wanted me to develop a proof of concept for a feature they were working for. I'm not sure if I can share a lot about it because it's not a feature that's released yet. But if it would be useful, it was a proof of concept where I had to figure out how to implement a feature, what technologies I would use, the kind of process that would entail pros and cons of different approaches.
1: Did the company only advertise this job internally or were there external people applying as well?
0: Yeah, it was um, advertised Oh,
1: okay. How did you feel about the competition, shall we say?
0: Yeah, I was not confident at all because i had no professional experience and i know that they typically look for developers with a bit of experience so no i was not expecting to get the job to be honest what do you
1: think sort of tipped things in your favor then
0: the hiring manager did acknowledge that i wasn't experienced but uh, he did like that i had shown initiative and this was something that i learned on my free time so i think that went a long way to convincing convincing them that if I got the job that I would do my best to grow into the role.
1: That's very cool. I mean, if you can make as much progress as you did doing it part-time, basically, while dedicating the bulk of your focus to the content marketing role, it's not hard to imagine how great you could be if you were doing it full-time. You said something like it's kind of like on easy mode or something, but the thing is, why should you take the hardest path The hardest path is usually to go on LinkedIn and just apply for jobs cold, especially as a junior. It can work and it does work, but it's certainly an uphill battle compared to if you can get a little bit creative, right? And maybe leverage your network or in your case, make an internal transfer. I think making strategic decisions to smooth the process of becoming a developer isn't easy, it's smart, you know?
0: I like your spin on it. It wasn't a shortcut, it was the strategic option.
1: Absolutely. I hear that a lot. I think people are so modest and humble in the way they explain it. And let's be clear, it took you a few years as well, like you're definitely patient, which I think is a, a great attribute as well. So what does the company do exactly? And I'm kind of curious because obviously they do content marketing, but clearly there's a development team as well which you've now moved to.
0: The company is called Lodifas, Lottie Lollyfas.com. It's a platform where you can find free Lottie
1: animations. What is Lottie? It's
0: a really tiny animation file. So if you're a developer and you want to include animations in your website or mobile app, you can actually copy a code that you can find on the LolliFiles website. Uh, you copy that code and you paste it in your website and you have an animation. So what's cool about it is that you can actually set it up to be interactive, but you could make it play on click or on scroll, stuff like that.
1: Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. I didn't even know that existed. So I guess like on the content marketing team, it's a bit about building awareness about the, the product. But on the development team i guess it's less so designing the animations it's probably more to do with that interactive part you were talking about is that fair to say
0: yeah we have a creation tool that is in private beta at the moment and that's what my team is working on
1: what's the like advantages and disadvantages of using lottie files compared to using a uh, compressed GIF, for example
0: so one thing is the file size and another thing is the interactivity like with lottie animations Everything is a vector base. So if you want to make quick changes, you could edit it on Moly Files and change your color or something.
1: Oh, it was pretty cool. I don't ordinarily ask too many follow-up questions about the company, but obviously this is something developers could use. So I thought I'd ask you. So yeah, I'm so happy for you. You must've been so excited when you got the job offer. How did they kind of let you know? What were you thinking? And how did you feel when the news came through?
0: So after I had that interview with the hiring manager, there was a few months of uh, radio silence. So I thought, okay, maybe I didn't get a job. And I think like someone had brought up that I was joining the team and that was news to me because no one had told me yet. Yeah, I was really glad to hear that I had gotten the job and also in a project that I was personally very excited about. So like a mix of um, excitement and anxiety of whether like I'll be good enough at a job.
1: So now you've completed this journey, I mean, there's always going to be uh, another path to venture, right? And oftentimes when you get your first junior dev job, you could say that's when the real learning begins. But in terms of this massive milestone for which I congratulate you, yeah this is it it's awesome i'm wondering if you could go back to the beginning of your journey and offer yourself one bit of advice knowing what you know now what would that advice be
0: at the start of my journey there were so many times where i was feeling really demotivated about how slowly I was learning things. Or if, like, if a concept didn't come easy to me, I would kind of feel like maybe I'm not good enough to learn coding because I'm not getting it immediately. I think it took me a while to realize that, yeah, it's just part of the learning process. And I suppose, yeah, with every skill, With every new skill you're learning, yeah, there are gonna be challenges.
1: It's interesting. Like I don't know what the right comparison to draw is exactly, but I'm gonna go with swimming because lately I've been learning to swim, and I know by chance, by complete coincidence, yeah, the producer who'll be editing this episode is also learning to swim. And it's like one of those things where if you've not really learned to breathe underwater, you can kind of panic a little bit. You're like, oh no, I'm going to drown or like, oh no, I'm going to, you know, suck at this. But then you kind of learn one technique, right? Like one stroke or just one part of your swimming technique, like kicking or something. And it just kind of gives you that confidence that you can do it. And at some point you're learning a more advanced technique and it's impossible to feel bad because you recognize that, you know, you're just a beginner at this advanced technique. And just like how when you were a beginner before at the basics, you're not anymore, you know? Like, you have the confidence to not be good at something, You stuck at it consistently and now you can do it. And that same thing will happen with the more advanced swimming technique in this example. Uh, But of course, it's the same thing with coding, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I I like the example that you brought up because I think learning code, it's like you learn the skill and you're not only learning how to code, you're learning like the meta learning skills on how to learn other things, right, that it's applicable to swimming or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, Totally. But tell me, Jen, is coding sink or swim, do you think?
0: <laughs> there is always GitHub. So if you make a mistake, you can always go back. <laughs> yeah.
1: There's nothing permanent about your mistakes. I like that a lot. And you know what, Jen? That's just a wonderful note to end on. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story.
0: Thanks for having me, Alex.
2: That was the Scrimba podcast. Make sure to check out the show notes for the links and resources from this episode, as well as for Alex's Twitter handle, if you want to tweet at him directly. If you made it this far, subscribe. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I've been Jan the Producer, I'm going to the pool tomorrow, and we will see you next Tuesday.